Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the excellent Eric Heimel, the ludicrous Lord Tentacle, and the stupendous Sam Groton. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and John, and today we're going to take a stroll through the world of Eberron. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get to know a gnome question. What is one of your favorite steampunk-style tropes you've seen or used in a fantasy game? Because I know, John, I'm going to start with Jared. Okay. Fair. Fair. (laughs) (laughs) I generally like anything that is steam-powered and like a contraption that is something we still don't have now. (laughs) And I think that may have even come from like when I first used any kind of uh, steampunkish elements in anything, it was probably way back with Dragonlance and um, like gnomish inventions that are like going crazy and doing all sorts of bizarre things and just being, you know, over the top. And I like that idea of like, here is a gigantic mech, which is something we don't have now, but they managed to put it together using steam and this, you know, engine that's going to blow up from all the coal that's in it and just, you know, things like that. That's kind of my favorite aspect of uh, utilizing steampunkish things. Damn gnomes. Those damn gnomes. (laughs) How about you, John? Airships. (laughs) And for everybody not seeing, I'm mimicking the alien guy doing aliens. Airships. No, I I love airships. I have always loved airships ever since playing the Final Fantasy games. And just like, like it's it's that one sort of like, yeah, I could see this existing in this world. I don't know why, but I just want it. There's no reason for this, but I love it. It's been such a trope and like it, it hit its, you know hype in in steampunk when there's like well now we have a reason for this and now it's steam and now it's lodestone and now it's you know magic (laughs) and and i have bought so many fisher price boats and converted them with constructs built them (laughs) out of like cardboard uh 3d printed them like and and i'm sure that also goes for my love of space games as well in in some way but um (laughs) one of the most epic things i ever did was we ran a giant airship battle to test out some airship rules for the old silver vine book and i made a four foot long goblin dreadnought out of cardboard and painted it black (laughs) and then we assembled like toy versions of like 10 other airships and we put the goblin dreadnought on like two tray tables in the middle of the convention center and then made little stands for everybody else's airship and took up like a 40 50 square foot thing uh, at some i'm gonna say it was a con on the cob or nakata con and everybody walked around moving their airship and picking it up and jumping from ship to ship and firing and (laughs) you know like like using their teleports to get across and try to take out the gunners and it was chaotic the rules didn't work but it was awesome (laughs) i remember being in one of your games using an airship (laughs) and the MacGuffin got tossed overboard (laughs) like accidentally flew out of somebody's hands and flew overboard and i basically just like okay i dive after it and everyone was like what What? (laughs) why you can't fly what are you doing and i'm like it's the MacGuffin. it's important enough that i'll be caught Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't say that, but that was that was generally my like, it's an airship. If somebody's not jumping off it at some point, you're doing something wrong. Was that the game we met where you played the monkey sniper or was that a different? No, because the 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 monkey sniper was in the game with the two two penguins. Penguins, Yeah, it was a heist thing. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I think the the one where I jumped off the airship was probably like second or third time I'd I'd played in one of your right. games at a con. So so what about you? What's your favorite uh, steampunk trope? Mechanical animals. <laughs> All right. I, ever since. I was a kid, and I saw Clash of the Titans in the early '80s with that Bobo. mechanical owl. I've loved that concept. You know, just the the mechanical critter that's worrying and buzzing and just like acting like the animal, but it's 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 not. It's it's all steampunk gears and <laughs> steam powered. So I've always thought that was fun. Yeah, nice. I dig so, it. Getting into our main topic, Jared recently wrapped up an Eberron campaign and it was suggested that he write an article about that. Instead, he thought it would be more interesting to bring the topic to the Nopecast, where several of us Eberron aficionados can jaw about the topic for a while. And I, I thought that was a great idea. <laughs> so before we get too much into talking about Eberron itself, let's talk about our, our experiences with Eberron. John, why don't you start this time? So I have played in a couple of Eberron games, and I think the longest campaign I was ever in was a troop-style game where we all kind of, like, handed off DMing for a couple of, you know, couple of sessions, and then the next person a couple of sessions, and the next person a couple of sessions. And so I've actually just kind of resurrected that game in 3-5. It was one of my favorite ever games and campaigns to play in because there was just so much kind of scenery to chew on and while i know some people like came in at the forgotten realms sort of thing and are like oh my god forgotten realms and there's so much to chew on here yeah there absolutely is but uh uh this is so much to chew on plus airships um <laughs> plus you know plus warforge and plus this really cool like noir style story which i absolutely love plus some you know very obvious and and uh you know i'm I'm sorry, Keith, uh, uh, very obvious references to Final Fantasy VII all throughout <laughs> it. You know, like, Sharn at the City of Towers, that was a rule in our game. You had to say Sharn, the City of Towers. Because uh, <laughs> it was, like, printed that way in the book, like, 25 times. And every time you read it, it was like, Sharn, then somebody else would jump in, the City of Towers. Thank you. <laughs> but, like, you know, that, it, it was, it's so Midgar-like. And I've been playing FF7 Remake recently and, like, oh, here's the slums underneath. Just like the slums underneath in Sharn. Here's the, you know, <laughs> plates. Oh, just like the upper. You know, obviously it's not the same. And it's like, you know, inspiration is inspiration. But it's like, oh, yeah, there, there's a lot of cool stuff. And, you know, so, so it really dovetailed on some fundamental experiences for me. God, I love Eberron. I'm, I'm a jaw. You're just going to have to be like, <laughs> shut it, John. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jared? See, this is one of those settings. It's extremely unlikely because I have been a not-quite-forever uh, GM, but I've been a most-of-the-time GM, and all of my experience so far with Eberron has been as a player. Um, when it first came out in 3.5, I was busy getting all of the core releases for, for 3.5 D&D and all the Forgotten Realms releases, and even though it looked interesting, I just didn't have the bandwidth to pick up another setting at that point in time. And um, I didn't get into it until um, I, it came up a little bit later. I started kind of looking into it in 4th edition because I wasn't particularly thrilled with what happened to, to the realms in 4th edition. And mm -hmm. the setting for Eberron was largely unchanged in 4th edition. It just used a different rule set, which I thought, hey, that's how you should do it. But I still didn't get a chance to do much with it. And it's only been recently that I've gotten a chance to play. And part of the reason I didn't necessarily want to try and do an article is because I don't know how to do an article from a completely player-facing point of view, but it has been really interesting to dive into. 
like John was alluding to, there's a whole other set of tropes that don't feel alien to it. Mm -hmm. Just recently, um, someone posted online one of those things where it's like, what three inspirations did you have for your character? And I posted a picture of uh, Durotan from uh, World of Warcraft, Belloc from Indiana Jones, and Chaucer from A Knight's Tale. <laughs> and that was kind <laughs> of what my my orc bard was from, you know, in the Eberron game, because that it was it was great to be able to pull on these widely different tropes to create this thing. For me, Eberron was one of the first campaigns that my regular group, the, the core group that I have played with since the early 2000s, was a campaign we played, and it was the campaign that kind of cemented us together. We had played a campaign before, but the GM wasn't, it was, it's best left unsaid. It wasn't the worst thing in the world, but there were issues. And, it, it, you know, the GM made some mistakes. Whatever. Someone else picked up Eberron and started running it in 3.0, 3.5, whatever it was back then. And, oh my god, so much fun. We, you know, just the, the combination of characters and the, the kind of that steampunk, pulpy adventure feel to the world just caught us. And then in 2011, I decided I need to, needed to kind of go back to basics and run like a fantasy campaign. But, you know, I appreciate the realms for what it is. But actually, for me, that lore is too deep and too broad for me to really dive into. I just I feel overwhelmed and I don't want to disappoint any fans of that. <laughs> Whereas Eberron, one of the nice things about it is that they, you know, they, they have the, the setting in the book and they've really not advanced the timeline when the new editions have come out. So you don't feel like you have to keep up with the changing world of that setting, which can be a good thing. But in Eberron, it, it, I felt like it gave me the, the platform I needed to run a campaign. You, you know... Yes, because it's like, oh, Forgotten Realms. Well, everybody wants a certain thing, or they, they know this thing. But everyone was like, here's here's your world. Now you go do something with it. Like, the rest is yours. Yeah. And I mean, this this doesn't mean that you don't end up with your Eberron lore nerds who kind of start going off on, this means this, and this is that, and this setting means this. And the people who aren't familiar with it, eyes start to glaze over. I'm guilty of that. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, so, oh, and my Eberron campaign that I started in 2012, we were using Pathfinder, because at that point, we were over 3.5, and we were over 4th edition. <laughs> and so we're like, let's use Pathfinder. We've come full circle now, and we're back playing that original Eberron campaign, just kind of rebooted into 5th edition, and we just started that last weekend. Nice. So, what are, what are the, you know, we, we've kind of touched on the things that make Eberron different, but what are the different things that make you really love it? Jared, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. See, there are... There are, um, as I was mentioning before, there's just certain tropes that I like being able to play up that don't feel as native to other settings. And one of those things is I love like cheesy 30s detective movie type aesthetics, like private eyes <laughs> yeah, and things like she, that. Yeah. And yeah, I love getting, you know, having that as like an adventurer type where somebody can get embroiled in a case where it's like, hey, find out where this missing thing went. Oh, okay. And it. It is a thing that D&D &D adventurers would do, but it has that extra 
oomph to it when you do it more like in a rainy city street when you know you're when there's mm-hmm. like skyscrapers around even if the skyscrapers don't quite look like our skyscrapers and you know that's there is that that noir element that i really like that you get in there and you know it's newspapers that's the other that's another one of those hooks that i love is that you can have the crusading reporter that wants to get to the heart of a story and that's another adventure hook you can do here because newspapers it's not just that somebody prints off like a pamphlet like you know you could have in waterdeep it's like there's a newspaper industry and there's competing papers and there's actually reporters and it's it's a standard and we understand that trope from modern times and that's another one of those hooks that you can use in this setting even though your reporter might be carrying a longsword you know <laughs> how about you john yeah so <laughs> talking about newspapers i i may or may not be doing issues of the sharon inquisitive based off of uh fully designed and adobe stock <laughs> elements where i just keep making jabs at the players and like like the, the last, last one they just saved like three carts on a lightning rail they fell into a trap meant for other adventures set by the lord of blades but they were the most you know suspicious looking ones so uh they brought it back the other adventures are like oh holy shit you got that for us thank you very much and uh and uh then they, they continue on their journey and Three days later, they get a copy of the Sharn Inquisitive that I made that talks about how the brothers Gundaril and their uh, ancestral golem Clanky foiled the Lord of Blades and sent hirelings <laughs> back to get the rest of the cart. And, and the emails I got were like, hirelings? Hirelings? <laughs> but like, but I, I know I, exactly what Jared said. I do love those sort of noirish tropes, but the fact that it feels like you're not a murder hobo in Eberron unless you're doing it really yes. wrong. There's something to connect to. There's something to attach to. There's all this other world going around that isn't related to the very old school and very fun tropes of dive in the dungeon, kill the thing, bring it back. You know, again, like it feels very Final Fantasy-esque, like there's something bigger going on in the whole world story. You know, other ones have that, but it just feels like Stuff moves on around you. You are one cog in the great big machine. I love that there's a lot of depth and nuance to the way the world is set up. So you you have this world that is just recovering from a war that embroiled almost the entirety of the continent. One whole nation was wiped off the map by some sort of magical terrorism or magical accident or something. And it's like, you know, peace is only about two to five years old, depending upon where you start your campaign. And the tropes it plays with, like you have, it's not Thrain, it's the, the northern country, the one run by the vampire. Is it Karn? Karnath. 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 By the way, Karnath. spoilers, Karnath um, is run Karnath. by a vampire. It's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, it's the land of undead. Yeah. They They use undead as minions, as labor and you'd think oh that's the land full of bad guys we should go there and kill some of them and honestly the the king of that country he really really doesn't want the war to start back (laughs) up again it tells you flat out that he's like no 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 we must maintain peace because the war was really bad and we need time to regain our resources Meanwhile, over in Andare, led by this beautiful queen, and it's this educated, beautiful, civilized country, she is doing everything she can to restart the war, just without (laughs) letting anybody know that that's what she's doing. 
you know, and you can, your mileage, your mileage varies is what your group is interested in. You can completely ignore all of that and just play your game wherever you want to set it, you know, in the setting. But all these pieces are there for you to play with. I had a great time in, in my campaign, they found a lost temple in the mountains. They, they were there for a reason. They were chasing down some people. They went to this lost temple in the mountains. And what they found there was it was an, a temple from the old Goblin Empire. And so they walk in and there's all this statuary and iconography that is representing the Goblin races in a way they've never seen as educated, as regal, as noble. And they're all like, huh, the goblins I know live in the, you know, in the cogs down in Sharn, not, you know, not this noble monk that is represented in a statue here. And like throwing that type of thing at the players is just like, it's fantasy. It's everything you can expect in D&D, but with some twists and some some things to just make it fresh and interesting and allow more room for other people to bring their ideas to it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the things that I really like. And uh, one of the things I think I wanted to highlight because of the character that I was playing, which was an orc bard. And one of the things that I love about Eberron was that they really pushed this idea that goblins and orcs are goblins and orcs. They are not evil incarnate. They are not, you will not be judged by your gods if you murder their children. They're people. They're another, you know, race of people. And the fact that goblins are kind of like the cradle of civilization on this continent, like they had the first really advanced civilization and they actually fell not because they were degenerate or evil, but because they were fighting these aberrations that came through. So they actually were protecting the world when they sacrificed their kingdom fighting these things. It throws this whole other perspective in there. And orcs. Orcs are the mm -hmm. original druids in the setting. And it's like, I love this twist on things. <laughs> There's no subtext. <laughs> <laughs> even even the drow, the drow in Zendrick, they are not the, you know, evil monstrosities living beneath the earth that you have in pretty much every other D&D &D setting. And, you know, while that can have its place and it can have some interesting things with it, it's like, the drow in Zendrik are they're, they're the original elves before they migrated elsewhere into the world. You know, it's just these these twists that the setting puts on things and just leaves a little more room for you to just play with. We it. we had a talk in my last game and, and I brought up the term D D racism and you know people were like yeah and and that's one of the things I like about Ebron. You know, like you say, the drow they're this evil thing. It's like easy. It's it's yeah you can do it without moral compunction because they're writing them as so evil. You know, I don't know if it's mm -hmm. intentional, unfortunate, just blind that they said, hey, let's make the dark elves this this idea. Like, but. That that's one of the things that I'm I'm really enjoying with Eberron, and we had this discussion because they're going to Rukondral, the the bloody market, and I'm like I'm trying to put all these illusions to like think of it more like the Klingon Empire, and you know there, there's like a street preacher talking about you know like here's who we really are, let's stop being beholden to this, you know, and and like I'm I'm putting in a lot of like Mon Mongol style social services because like a primitive. Like they're a primitive society now because they've been torn apart by war and, and boot heels on them forever. Here's how they're fixing, you know, those things and, and becoming a real thorn in the side for, you know, all these other countries. But it it's such a great 
kind of a great F you to the tropes <laughs> that have been in D&D &D <laughs> yeah. forever, and it lets I mean, you actually talk about some of those things. You know, I'll fully admit that I sometimes play games so I have the opportunity to punch evil in the face. But I don't want, you know, I don't want to be going into it by just turning, you know, blanket statement othering of different groups because, oh, that's a this, it's evil, kill it. You know, it's like, no, 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 they're doing this and that's a problem. Then I'm going to deal with it. You know, that's that's kind of what I like and what I think Eberron is well suited to. Yeah, there's yeah, there's been a lot of discussion that kind of has boiled up around this subject. There was a big discussion on orcs that uh, broke out across social media recently. And honestly, a lot of times people don't want to think about, well, I'm just saying this thing, but you can't just say this thing. Um, whatever you say is connected to whatever other media it touches. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. that everything is 100% bad and you have to get rid of it, but it means you need to be mindful of where some of these tropes are coming from and where you can change those tropes so that they are not as harmful. And right. it's, it is, it's, it's something we can't just say, well, orcs don't really exist. Well, sure. Orcs don't really exist, but let's look at everything you've used to describe them and then just remove the, they have green skin and tusks. If you remove that all of a sudden, it sounds a whole lot like, you know, this culture or that culture, depending on what setting you're talking about. So you really have to be mindful of those things and careful about how you use those things to make sure you're not doing harm. And it's also very easy for people, for example, like me, where it isn't necessarily something that's going to harm me. So it's easy for me to just say, oh, they don't really exist. But you have to think about a wider world. We have to be more responsible to other people. Sorry, I'm getting off and my soapbox now, but this is, no, you know. No, it's, it's <laughs> we fine. thought this was going to be you know, about Eberron. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever want to play a game where it is acceptable to go in and slaughter the women, the children, the elderly because they're a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, no, that is not the game I want to play. That's not the game I want to run. That's not the game I want to play. And if a player ever did that in front of me, I would probably get up and leave the game because that's just not what I'm here for. But bringing it back around to Eberron, <laughs> uh, uh, how do I want to get off of that topic and back onto Eberron? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I had to give my players pause recently because they did all the things that we did in our Eberron 3.5 game, which I played like right out of college. But they're like, oh, they a Warforge came after them and they, you know, killed the Warforge and they realized he had adamantine armor embedded in his body. They're like, let's pry that out. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> if this is essentially prying the adamantine bones out of Wolverine and they're like, uh-huh. And I'm like, you might do that to research because you are the big uber bad, but it is essentially grave robbing like yeah there's the loot the body thing you're gonna do that these people tried to kill you and yes this this person tried to kill you but you are having to do minor surgery <laughs> to get the loot you want and yeah. and it's just like there's actually kind of a space in eberron to do that to talk about that to kind of bring up like would your characters do this and you know Players are players, you know, there, there's the game and then the narrative, but, you know, some players are like, you know, 
God, in this narrative, do we really need it? How much are we going to get for that? Okay, maybe we'll get 300 gold for it. You know, my players did. But, you know, (laughs) it it, it lets you have that space to talk about it because it doesn't treat everything as, you know, reliant on these tropes that we've been reliant on. It makes it a real world that we can all empathize with. Because like you said, walking through the streets of New York with the rain coming down, you walking through the, the skyways of Sharn with the rain coming down on you, unless you're on the lower levels. Um, <laughs> you know, it it exists, and I think it exists in a different way that feels more realistic. And one of the things I, I love, you know, just to dovetail on the Dead Warforged uh, <laughs> thing there, um, my, my group was playing in this scene where we were going through this lab where people were, for some nefarious purpose, poking through the remains of various Warforged, and we had a Warforged in the party. And I was trying to play up, you know, my character picking up on this, because to me, this Warforged is a member of the party. And I, I walked over to him and was like, are you okay? <laughs> because there's all of these these Warforged bodies just laying out in this lab, and it's like, I know what it would have been like for my character to see people laying out on these tables being experimented on and you know it was it was nice to be able to have that space and it even created some role playing for the other people in the party to go oh yeah i guess that would seem kind of bad (laughs) we would use that trope in lovecraftian horror like look at all the Mm -hmm. experiments being done on these people right when i was running my eberron campaign and they arrived at that temple they discovered a minotaur basically commanding a group of bugbears trying to break into the temple. And, you know, my players took some time, watched the situation, and I kind of said that all of the the bugbears seem kind of a little afraid of the Minotaur and a bit subservient to him. And they're like, huh. And I'm expecting, I've fully statted this out as a fight between the party and the Minotaur with his bugbear minions. My players got really, really lucky with their first role. Mind you, we were playing Pathfinder. We had a gunslinger in the party, which is perfectly suited to Eberron. He one-shotted the Minotaur. <laughs> Basically, they they challenged him. He got he got initiative, which give, gave him advantage. He pulled out his gun, and he shot the brains of the Minotaur out onto the startled faces of the bugbears behind him. And then there was a pause. And then the next player in an initiative turns to the bugbears and goes... Was he bothering you guys? Was he was he trouble? And basically they find out that he had their families enslaved elsewhere and they had to serve him. So it basically totally changed the dynamics mm-hmm. of that situation because they were willing to go into it not expecting everything they faced to be just a monster. Yeah, I loved we had a bunch of like uh, mob thugs come up to us in Sharn at one point. The City of Towers. <laughs> <laughs> And when we got into the fight, my um, my orc didn't draw a sword. He just started punching people. And at first, the other people in the party were like, we're in a fight and you're not drawing your sword. And I was like, we're dealing with mobsters. I don't want to die in this fight. But if we run into their boss again, I want to be able to tell their boss, hey, there was no hard feelings. You know, <laughs> and I'm thinking more like a noir story where it's, you know, like, I'm not going to pull out my gun and shoot boss, you know, so-and-so's you know, head thug, I might punch him if he's trying to rough me up. But, you know, and that was the mindset that I was I was in. We're in the city. These are mobsters. 
this isn't a monster. This isn't like an assassin that is saying they're going to kill us. This is just somebody saying, hey, you screwed up that one job. We need to set the record straight. So it was like, you know what? I'm just going to knock a few teeth loose. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I did want to own up to one thing since uh, John already you know owned up to his uh his recurring thing oh god if i ever ran and i do want to eventually run something in eberron i really want to use zendrick and the city down there stormreach yeah because stormreach is all of my usual repeated crap that i i fall into that i love (laughs) because there's giants (laughs) it's a city and there's pirates So I have to confess, with with my campaign that I ran, I wanted all of it. (laughs) So I gave them a quest that gave each of them an artifact they needed to find somewhere in the world. And they have so far been to Drome. They've been to the um, Ice White Island. They have been to the Dragon Continent, whose name I'm blanking on. Argonesson. (laughs) Argonessen, and they still have to go to the Demon Wastes, Sarlona, and Zendrick. (laughs) This this campaign is not going to finish anytime soon. It's kind of in pause right now. But that's great, because you can do the Indiana Jones travel by map. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. In fact, we uh, we did that, because we actually spent time traveling to Argonessen. They went to the center of Argonessen, did the thing, found the artifact they were looking for, and I'm like, I don't want to spend the next six months playing them leaving Argonessen. So we basically did a shortcut Indiana Jones-esque, you know, tell me some things that happened on your journey out. And, you know, kind of did some storytelling cards around the table. And they basically narrated their journey back to uh, back to Sharn. The City of Towers. City of Towers. Activate the dungeon. Uh, <laughs> um, no, yeah. So... One thing I'm doing with my current Eberron campaign, and this is working out beautifully because they all have their sort of things aside from adventuring, right? One character is a member of a monk school trying to, you know, train and learn who she wants to be. Another character is an artificer, but not a Kenneth artificer. So he's like, well, how do I make my name? And, you know, he he's a gunslinger. So he's like, well, here's my, you know, like, and Kenneth is like, no, magic, magic wands, because that's how they maintain their, <laughs> you know, monopoly. And he's like, no, I can do this without magic. No, you know. Um, <laughs> but so, you know, uh, one, one's a playing a burn notice sort of game, you know, he's like a, a burned spy. So what I've done is I've actually give the, given them downtime stolen from 5e and the Adventures uh, League, you know, downtime rules. Uh, well, okay. Stolen from Jared playing in his game. I've moved like most of what you did and, and, you know, I'm like, oh, let me, let me do it this way. Um, cause that was where I encountered it. <laughs> and I gave them a side quest option where they can, or I call it side jobs, they can go out and perform a side job with their downtime, and it can have happened in the actual in-game intervening downtime or at any point, and they, they declare what they're going to do, choose three roles, and the, the DC they have to beat is their character level plus, or like 10 or 12 plus their character level or something. So the higher they go up, the more challenging it is, but also they're, mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, stay above that curve. But then if they succeed, they get, like, 100 experience per character level, and if they, like, succeed on all three rolls, uh, they get, like, the equivalent of, like, a CR plus two of their character. Like, I've got this whole thing, and w- they've loved it, 
because they go through and like, so here's what I do. And I go talk to this person and I do that. And she tells me this and it gives me all these other little like hooks to go into. But it also has them like pawing through the books, looking at the wikis, finding things about Eberron that are out there so they can be like, so I go find and brew some dragon's blood. And since it is highly illegal where I am, here's what we do. And it's like, all right, tell me more. Like, now dragon's <laughs> blood is a, an illegal, you know, drug in the game that we're making use of. And it, it's just perfect for those sorts of, like, tell us what you do. Give us a story alongside the big one. Because you're all doing your own things, too. I have to confess that my, I look back through my notes for my Eberron campaign. You know, this game has been going on for almost 10 years, off and on. And there are bits in there that I'm not sure if I got that from <laughs> the books or if I made it up. I don't know anymore. What do you mean the Lord of Blades is actually real? there's a lot I stole real. from places. <laughs> Jared, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say um, the other thing that I like about that uh, that downtime thing is the whole side job cold open thing is such an Indiana Jones thing, mm -hmm. you know, uh -huh. because you have the movie where it's starting, he's going after this artifact and it's not necessarily connected to the rest, but you're getting to see, oh, he's got a new contact here and he runs into Belloc here and that comes in later. But the artifact itself has nothing to do with any of that. <laughs> so you have all that stuff that you can pull from, from that cold open that you did with that side job. And, you know, again, that's very pulpy. And it's a great way to get the players invested in the world. Because you, you as a GM may have all the things you have going on, but if the players aren't invested in the world, if the players don't have their own things they've dug their hands into to get into the world, <laughs> all the work you do is just, you know, sure, it might be cool and entertaining, and maybe the players will congratulate you on being clever, but they're not invested in it. And, and I, I just think, I think it works so much better in Eberron than it does in some other settings because it just feels so much more realistic. You know, you, you can map actual experiences you've had onto the fantasy version of this. And then you go like, yeah, I want to do that, that job that I did when I was, you know, a 15 year old and working, you know, part time. But I want to do it with the sword and hunting monsters like I imagined I was when I was <laughs> 15 or 40, you know. <laughs> Or 40. Or 40. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a negligible difference. <laughs> Any last words about Eberron before we start getting out of here? I know we were talking about how, well, there isn't as much out right now for Eberron, but I'm kind of excited that Keith Baker is going to be doing a specific book that just he's doing. It's not official through Watsy, but it's going to be coming out through the DMs Guild, and it looks like it's going to be a monster of a book, and I'm actually really excited about that. Yeah, it looks like he's going to expand on some really cool stuff mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, and I mean, like the 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 one of the best things about Eberron is the world. The world is big. There's a lot to it. Use what you want. You know, you don't you don't need to feel like you know everything about everywhere. If you're setting your campaign in the Eldian Reaches, do some research on the Eldian Reaches. You know, it's like just do that. How about you, John? Any last words? I, uh, and, and this plays to my skills, so don't feel like you have to, as if you're like, nah, not, not it. But like, I have found so much extra immersion from my players because I am building things like these Sharn Inquisitives, or I am going and finding a little, like, you know, prop free out their vector thing and throwing on, like, the node and, and providing that as a handout for them. Even a, like, hey, I grabbed a Word document and 
put it into the, you know, put a Sharon Inquisitive article on it, and it, it looks crappy, but it actually has the writing and does that. Every article in my Sharn Inquisitives are talking about the players sideways, you know, <laughs> like the players will never make the front page, but it like touches <laughs> on their things. And and so like that, it, it kind of makes a perfect session recap. And what, what I would say is there are so many things like that that are perfect touchstones that that lend themselves to, to building that little bit extra that help the players with their narrative. Find whatever and ever on works for your group and apply it there and then you know find whatever in in other settings but i i just find eberron works so well to do those things so it, it's a, yeah. a kind of low-hanging fruit yep so getting ourselves out of here this show is funded by the gnome stew patreon you too can become a patreon backer by following the patreon link on the gnome stew website to the gnome stew patreon this ad is brought to you by the plot pourri. When you've got players at the table all wanting something different out of the game and the game world, you can turn to plot pourri to come up with the most wacky combinations to satisfy even the most curmudgeonly grognard at your table. If you are enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like one of the many other misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. She's a super geek. She's a super geek is an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. You can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. John, where else can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me in Sharn, the city of powers. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, uh, just Google me. It's likely me or, you know, wherever crows gather, because that is the other place I can be found in real life. Just follow the crows. Just follow the crows. about you, Jared? <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, knighterrantjr at blog, or dot blogspot.com. However, that works out for uh, my non gnome stew <laughs> articles, and uh, obviously you can find me on Twitter at knighterrant underscore jr. And if you happen to f look up Jared Rasher on YouTube, there are these videos where there is this guy named John Arcadian and a few other people, Jesus. like our our editor <laughs> for the uh, for the blog too, and you know some people playing in this Avalon setting that this 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 company called Encoded Designs put out. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as orikes 13 but Instagram is mostly just pictures of my cat. Cats. <laughs> multiple. Anyway, so I think it's it's fair to say that since you've got the two co-head gnomes here, that, that we all avoided the stew this week. I hope so, because yeah. I think I'm the only one that's on the line one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> you like Eberron, so it's a pass from me. <laughs> it's a yes from me. <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.